the Young and Healthy Podcast. You're listening to the Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy Podcast. Hi everyone, my name is Rosie Bowman and welcome to Season 1, Episode 14 of the Young and Healthy Podcast. It seems like only yesterday when your little girl was playing with her Barbies and baby dolls. Now she's wearing braces, blasting the latest Justin Bieber song on her iPhone, and wanting you to drop her off a mile down the road from her friend's house. And last night you overheard her talking with her friends about boys in school. What happened? Where did the time go? Your daughter is approaching her teenage years, and well, the time has come to talk to your daughter about her period. This conversation isn't always easy, so I'm here today with Dr. Leslie Breach to learn more about periods and how mom and dads can prepare for this conversation. Hi, Dr. Breach. How are you today? I'm wonderful today. Great. Do you mind taking just a few minutes to introduce yourself to our listeners and explain what you do here at the Medical Center? I would love to. Thank you so much. My name is Leslie Breach. I am a pediatric and adolescent gynecologist. I have been here at Cincinnati Children's for, oh my goodness, 17 years now. Oh my gosh. I arrived when I was pregnant with my youngest daughter, so, oh, that's a newsflash. I've been here for 17 (laughs) years now that she's a senior in high school. So um, I'm thrilled to be able to participate, not only from my experience of being a gynecologist specifically for children and teens, but for being the mom also of teenagers myself. So thank you so much for inviting me. Perfect. We're so happy to have you. We have a lot of questions here today, so I'm going to dive right in. And my first question is, what is a period and how do you describe it to a teenage girl? Wow, we're getting right into the juicy stuff right away, (laughs) right? Well, um, this is um, a way that I describe it is a little different. Um, So I hope you'll hear me out. Um, The ovaries uh, have two jobs. The ovaries are the tissue in the body that house the eggs for the future when someone may or may not choose to want to use those to have their own children. And then second, the ovaries make hormone. And the hormone is what I call fertilizer. Mm -hmm. Um, The uterus is what I call the house of the uterus. Have a lot of other analogies that go with that that we can talk about on another day. But um, um, and inside the house, the lining or the wallpaper inside the house is responsive to those hormones or that Mm -hmm. fertilizer. And so, um, for most girls, those ovaries will turn on when the brain tells the ovaries to turn on. So some communication. So as a little girl, we don't see any of that hormone production Mm -hmm. that happens, and so we don't see the impact of that on the body. But really, that starts turning on a little earlier than parents would like. But um, (laughs) we can start to see the first sign of that, not as the period, but actually as things like girls growing a little bit taller. Mm -hmm. We can also see that as some breast development and the need to wear a bra. And then really the final outcome or the pinnacle of puberty is when we see the menstruation or the period. The period is actually that lining of the uterus. So as the hormone or the fertilizer is produced, that wallpaper or lining inside the house is thickened by the stimulation of that hormone. And then eventually that lining will shed, typically on a monthly basis, but there is a maturation process for that. So it can take a couple months to even as long as a couple years to kind of have things straighten out, but I'm sure we'll get to that. (laughs) (laughs) And so when you're first starting, how long do your periods last and how much blood are you losing? 
Yeah, I think um, from the first period to the last period, I think we all are sometimes wondering, gee, how much is this going to be? <laughs> um, but typically, it's a small amount or a small volume. So usually, I would say somewhere around two to three ounces. Okay. Um, and so when you think of that, um, that's about, um, let's see, 80 mLs or... Gosh, I'm trying to think of what that would be like for someone. But when you think of like, you know, a very small glass, mm-hmm. um, that that would be the entire period. Gosh, okay. Um, it can look like a few drops of blood. It could be really bright red or it could mm-hmm. be very dark. Um, and it can vary on the onset. What we really find is that the trigger of the egg release, when the communication between brain and ovary is fully matured, that would cause all of the wallpaper in the house to shed. However, if it's not triggered by the first couple of periods by a full egg release, sometimes you can just shed either from the bedroom, from the family room, things like that. Mm-hmm. So the volume or the amount of blood you see and the characteristics might be different Got the it. first couple or intermittently you might see a different appearing period. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's an analogy that works sometimes. Definitely. <laughs> Particularly, I tease about you know teenagers sometimes just don't do what they're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Um, As a mom, I sometimes have some (laughs) assignments for my daughter to accomplish (laughs) or or chores, so to speak. And some days she just doesn't do them. Mm -hmm. Not sure why exactly, but she'll just say, "Um, I I don't know. I, I I just didn't do it that day. Yeah. And that can happen in the communication of this month did the teenager brain trigger an egg from being released. Got it. If the teenager brain didn't trigger that egg to be released, then we wouldn't have that coordinated shedding Mm -hmm. of all the rooms in the house at once. Instead, you might have, oh, it's time for the bedroom to shed. Oh my gosh, now it's getting real thick over here in the kitchen. Oh my gosh, now we got like the shed in the back. That's a problem. (laughs) So sometimes some people will present in the first couple of years of their periods with that sort of lack of coordination of the periods. And that can be not only frustrating, but sometimes have some medical implications mm-hmm. like anemia or low blood counts because people are kind of bleeding intermittently and too commonly. Mm-hmm. So when the period is irregular, when what are the signs you would look for to then like seek care from your pediatrician or Cincinnati Children's? Great question. Um, it's almost like we knew what each other were thinking <laughs> or something. Right? Um, in our practice, we developed um, a sort of set of rules for the period. Okay. So when patients and families might come to visit us at Cincinnati Children's and ask some advice about mm-hmm. irregular periods or kind of late starting periods or maybe really early starting periods, which oof, we all know how catastrophic that can be oh, to gosh. have early periods start. Yes. But um, we do have some advice for that, and we call it the 1, 10, and 20 rule with the two-month add-on. Um, the 1, 10, and 20, I have to give a shout-out to my own fellowship director, Dr. Dar- <laughs> Diane Merritt, who developed that kind of rule. So the 1 is if you soak a pad or tampon for the courageous ones every one hour. Okay. So if you soak um, a hygiene product every one hour, that's the 1. The 10 is if your bleeding episode lasts for 10 days or more, or 20 there's less than 20 days between the first day of the bleeding of this period and then the immediately following period, there's less than 20 days between those two first days of the period. Got it. I would say the caveat to that is, guess what? You need to keep track of them. Mm -hmm. Now, luckily, in today's world, we all know our teenagers never leave anywhere without their phone. (laughs) And so there are some great apps that we recommend, like Flow, Clue. There are a number of them. Even the health app on your Apple phone. 
do have the ability to track the periods because whenever you come to the doctor, they will often ask mm-hmm. you, when was your last period? And you'll sit there and think and think, hmm, when was that? When did it start? When did it finish? But if you have it right there on exactly. your phone, it's easy. So we use that and we say, if we keep track of that, those rules can be a good guideline Mm -hmm. for when we might be worried about things like not only anemia, but honestly frustration. Because if the periods are lasting that long and coming too frequently and bleeding that heavily, that can be extremely frustrating for anyone who's new into the period life. Mm -hmm. I should say the last add-on rule we made was if you go more than two months, that's the plus two at the end. Okay. If you go more than two months with no period, I think no teenager is going to come to her mom and tell them or dad that, um, oops, I didn't get my period for two months. <laughs> they might be thrilled. Yeah. <laughs> uh, however, as you plot them over time, if that's happening routinely, that's probably something else we'd want to uh, investigate because, as I say in the office, nobody wants the surprise gusher right when it's the homecoming. Oh, weekend, my right? gosh. Like, never. Oh, my no. greatest fear always. <laughs> <laughs> you got the cutest dress. Yeah. You're all ready. And then, boom. There oh, comes gosh. the gusher. <laughs> so um, definitely there are some guidelines. And um, we have um, provided some of those um, to the area pediatricians as well. Okay, perfect. Because I would definitely say that not everyone is coming in to see the pediatric mm-hmm. gynecologist straight away. And we have some excellent area pediatricians that can help to provide some guidance. So I often recommend that families perhaps first interact with their primary care provider and we had had some sessions with the area pediatricians kind of giving those rules and guidelines as okay. well. So that can be very helpful. Again, the one ten and 20 rule with mm-hmm. a two-month add-on at the end. Perfect. And out of the patients you're seeing and our primary care providers are seeing, what age do girls normally start their period? Yeah, that actually has been fairly stable for the past maybe 20, 30 years. Okay. It has certainly changed really? from the 1800s. Um in the 1800s, we'd say the start of periods was like 16 and a half years okay. old. Okay. Which is certainly much different than now. Mm-hmm. I think for many of us, we were wishing that was still the case. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but due to things like better nutrition, okay. better health care, other things like that, um, more developed countries, et cetera, we have seen um, a, um, um, the age to become younger and younger mm-hmm. over time. But over the maybe the last 30 years, it's been pretty stable, and I would say the ballpark of age 12. Got it. Okay. Now, there are about you know 10 to 12% of girls whose period will start less than age 11. Mm-hmm. And although to families it seems like, whoa, darn, why am I falling in that yeah. <laughs> like 10 to 12%? Because it can be a lot to manage, right? I think particularly we've seen when there's more guidelines at school about when you can leave the classroom. Mm -hmm. If it's early enough that other girls aren't having that same development, it's a bit of a struggle with, boy, do I have to bring a purse with me? Am I allowed to have a backpack with me? There are just so many guidelines at school presently. I think the whole pandemic has put many different layers on that as well. Oh, boy, you can only go this way down the halls. Mm -hmm. you got to make a full circle around the whole school to go to the restroom and only if you have permission. (laughs) So there are a lot of those sort of like overlie that can make it a challenge. Um, We do see that there are certain ethnicities or certain patients who may be carrying a little more weight or those Mm -hmm. other situations that might be associated with a little bit earlier onset. Okay. But really around age 12, maybe between 12 and 12 and a half is really the median that we have seen pretty stable. Got it. Now, breast development Mm -hmm. um, is the... Uh, most closely linked physical sign I think that parents would see. Okay. Moms or dads would be like, whoa, we got to get some sort of 
something yeah some kind of training bra (laughs) we need something going on here um the reassurance for parents would be that um, we typically see pubertal development for about a year and a half okay to three years before you actually see the onset of the first period okay typically that's like when the first little breast bud starts to the time of the period you have about a year and a half to three years so to me although we started our conversation talking about you know, once you have that development, mm-hmm. talking about periods, I'm like, ooh, 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 let's like rewind. Maybe we want to start talking about that a little bit earlier because if that median age is around 12-ish, if we go back a year and a half to three years, we're in the 9 to 10 range when we probably should start having those types of conversations as Absolutely. Like frustrating as it might be. Um, it seems like it's something that could be um, allow better preparation, mm-hmm. both for parents and I think for girls, right? I think that they're excited in a certain way nervous in a certain way Mm -hmm. and um and can affect things like if you're on swim team yeah right now luckily there's some new innovations like um not only are there period panties that make it easier to either on light days not wear any pads okay i'm interested in hearing more about this because i've seen the ads on facebook so i'm really interested to learn about the alternatives besides like tampons and pads yeah and um and they even have now i don't have as much personal experience with Uh these yet but uh period bathing suits whoa we're all like oh that is amazing where's this been all <laughs> yeah <our life?"> really <laughs> um so um definitely some new innovation that i think is um helps our quality of life mm-hmm. right i think that um when you're nine to 13 years old there's a lot of things changing yep and um so much body change um so much interaction with peers even sort of life with the social media and life with a the device, there's just a lot of pressure on kids nowadays. Mm-hmm. And um, trying to smooth that out as much as possible is something that we hope to do from the support that we can provide either directly when patients and families see us or through interactions with their pediatric providers to make them more comfortable when they talk to patients and families. Got it. And going off that like tampon versus pad debate, is there a better one than the other? And like, what do you suggest for young girls to start with? Great question. I would always say um, using what you're most comfortable with mm-hmm. is always the best option, right? I think that, um, funny story, when my um, eldest daughter started her period, um, she happened to be not at home, right? oh, staying no. with her grandparents, <laughs> oh, which no. is like, always super great with a, a grandmother who's done with having periods. Oh, so gosh. none of those supplies yeah. in the house. Um, and my mother-in-law happened to be um, the mother of only sons. So she oh. really never had the first period experience. But yep. there's some divine intervention allowing her to have that experience <laughs> with my eldest daughter. But um, So she first-handedly had that experience of when you run out to the pharmacy at 9 p.m., yep. start to look over the shelf. Wow, there's a lot of product mm-hmm. there. And what is what on this shelf, right? So there are a lot of different types of product, and it's certainly in the categories of uh, lots of different types of pads, mm-hmm. absorbencies and size. There are some that are more tailored towards teens, meaning they're just, you know, a little smaller in size. Okay. Um, they're certain varying, so they're more discreet, so to speak, mm-hmm. and varying in their absorbency, which we would not expect to have to get into a long conversation about super plus, super plus <laughs> kind of thing. Um, but also the tampons, right? I think there are a variety of different mm-hmm. sizes and absorbency. We typically tend to use what's called the light form, okay. or the smallest in size. Um, and we typically say that that's a little bit easier with insertion. Mm-hmm. There's some great guides out there if someone were to try those. And there's no hesitancy about, gosh, it's my first period. I should not use a tampon. Yeah. I, I often wonder, 
kind of where that comes from because it's not uncommon for moms or aunts or occasionally a dad to come in and say, I heard that you're not supposed to do mm-hmm. that, you know, with the first period. I think that there is no concern with doing that. There are just some other commitments with that. Right? Yeah. I think that being um, on time with changing that product uh-huh. in a timely way, um, although um, to the first time user of a tampon, they may not understand that their body adjusts to that. They may think, how do you forget that's in there? But yeah. your body does become acclimated yeah. to that. It's kind of like when you tie your shoes, mm-hmm. kind of tie down your feet at first, but throughout the day, you kind of forget your shoes are on. Exactly. Sort of the same thing. Once the tampon is in place, you can forget. And the forgetting might end up being dangerous in certain mm-hmm. situations. Um, we talk a lot about using the right absorbency tampon okay. so that you're not trying to use it for the entire day and night because, oh, then it won't have to change. Yeah. I'm like, oh, well, then you might be at risk for a bad, bad infection, toxic mm-hmm. shock. So over the years, the absorbencies have been modified so that they don't have those super duper 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 ones that mm-hmm. you could not leak. And um, so the leaking or the soaking through would allow one to be able to know like, hey, I'm supposed to be changing that. We typically say around six hours or so is a nice recommended time to use a tampon okay. for the duration of time. Some packaging may say up to eight, but I think that um, it's interesting how late people stay up at night and then how early girls have to get up to go to school. But typically an overnight is typically not as recommended for the tampons because someone might be sleeping a longer period of time. And, okay. But definitely there are some specifics about that. I could shock you, Rosie, because some of our uh, older teens are even using um, menstrual cups. Really? They are. And so, you know, we think about the benefit for the environment, yeah. some other benefits. Um, it's definitely just something that someone would have to sort of, you know, have the courage to try mm-hmm. and say, I feel comfortable using this. Um, it's safe even to use for teenagers. I just think that sometimes, you know, the comfort with overall menstrual hygiene takes some time to develop. And yep. when someone's ready, they could consider trying that. Um, or again, we have those old standbys of the pads and tampons. And any of those things could obviously be coupled with those menstrual um, or the period panties. Mm-hmm. Um, those can run a little bit more expensive, you know, with the initial purchase. Okay. Because they can be washed and reused. Yeah. Something that kind of um, is valuable for the investment. Okay. They definitely have some nice styles and whatnot now. Yeah. So there's some brands you can put on the resources and okay. things like that. Okay, absolutely. That right? I'm definitely going to be looking <laughs> into that after this. Yeah, um, we didn't expect this podcast <laughs> to be quite so helpful for all of us on the podcast. <laughs> and a little bit about um, sort of how we introduce yeah. these products and whatnot. Um because if we're talking about people being sort of 9 to 10 years of age, or mm-hmm. um, it's been historically pretty common that around the fifth grade time, okay, um, many school systems will um, allow for some sort of health education. Oh, I remember it well. Mm-hmm. I remember. Oh, and she, she's not even looking like she's crying or anything, and she still remembers <laughs> it, right? So um, it's definitely an experience we remember, but there's usually the fifth grade version that's kind of, you know, we separate, but we talk a lot yeah. about menstruation and the uterus and mm-hmm. the ovaries and sort of underlying anatomy and then often the sixth grade version is a little more advanced <laughs> which may delve into things that aren't for this podcast yes. maybe a future one um so i think we'd say that maybe there's some things that we could talk about ahead of that sort of about normalcy of starting to grow a little taller mm-hmm. normalcy is sort of the age that we see some of that pubertal development um, when we've seen, um, you know, the struggle with our entire society with obesity and being yeah. overweight, 
that has been associated with a little bit earlier development. Got it. And so sometimes you can see some of that breast development that happens even earlier than that 9 to 10 range. Oh, my gosh. There are some guidelines around, like, too early. Really? And I think that too early is that we worry that the handling of the periods is something that can be a challenge even when we're up at the 12-year-old yeah. range, believe me. But I think that when that's way too early, there's also the influence on the height and the growth. Mm-hmm. So remember I said one of the components of puberty is you start to grow taller. So if we start that process way too early, a girl may peak in height way too early and not gain her optimal adult height. Got it. So the, the main concern on this, this condition called precocious puberty is impairment in height. Mm-hmm. In addition to me is the social ramifications, right, of having a period if you're in third grade. Yeah. So one of the things we'd say is there are some sort of too early time frames. Okay. And I typically say if we're seeing some of that early development that's earlier than on the range of six or seven years mm-hmm. of age, that's often going to be in the way too early category and at least presenting for some evaluation that would be either with the primary care doctor, pediatrician, again, great resources in the mm-hmm. community, or to Cincinnati Children's, either through the endocrinology department or the gynecology department. So we're always happy, but the way too early could have not only the ramifications in the social aspect now, mm-hmm. but maybe those height concerns. Some of the resources that we recommend for families are some great web resources. Um, I um, only have daughters. I only take care of girls primarily, okay. right? And I don't have any brothers. I only have sisters. Oh, wow. Okay. So I'm really not a boy authority. But um, but youngwomenshealth.org is a great resource that has a lot of um, health information. Got it. In addition, I think that um, Rosie and I had chatted even before the podcast started that I think she even remembers things like their American Girl books yep. um, that have been around for many years. And um, actually, even my eldest daughter ran into the bathroom at a young age and like whipped her shirt open and is like, what stage of breast development do you think I'm in? Because I remember she, that page. <laughs> she had looked at the book and they have all the stages yes. drawn out. Um, for parents, I would say it's a great resource because mm-hmm. it's a lot of um, drawings, right? They're sort of cartoon type drawings that are perhaps like the first step into the foray of body changes that yep. can happen around puberty. As those changes happen, I would also sort of put a plug in a little bit is that's difficult for some children. And it may, again, be associated with some of those feelings of confusion or um, maybe bring out some um, discomfort in how their Mm -hmm. body is developing. So, again, if if those things are experienced or parents kind of pick up on that, that would be another important thing to access the resources such as primary care provider because there are things like gender dysphoria. Mm -hmm. And as the puberty develops, that might accentuate that because of those body changes that are sort of disconnected just sort of the gender in which the child mm-hmm. really feels aligned with might be even more disturbing. So those are things that we just want to keep in mind for parents as well. Okay. And I remember your daughters were so open, like talking to you, which I think is amazing. But I remember when my mom tried to talk to me, she had trapped me in the car. There was nowhere for me to run. And she was trying to talk to me and I had my hands over my ears and I was like, I don't want to talk about it. Please, mom, stop. So what do parents do in that situation when you have a rosy on your hands? Um, I would say my daughters were fairly open, but I think, um, you know, part of it is, you know, using those opportunities that arise um, spontaneously. Mm -hmm. I think that many parents are sort of planning something on their calendar about when a conversation is going to occur. And I think you mentioned it earlier, Rosie, driven many times by... Um, pubertal development itself. 
um, my youngest not being quite as um, open about things, it's like quit coming in this room and saying that word puberty, right? <laughs> like, um, you know, I think it's sometimes a little more anxiety provoking yep. for some kids. And kind of just using those opportunities as they arise, whether you have sort of um, an older cousin or older sibling mm-hmm. in the house and sort of using those opportunities of like you're in the pharmacy buying some pads. What do we use these pads for? Yeah. Look, your sister happens to be doing really great and going to activities and having everyday normal life and on her period, <laughs> right? It's not that you can't do those things that exactly. you enjoy. Um, so I think there are many spontaneous opportunities and they don't have to be particularly dictated. Yeah. The other assurance for parents, I would say, is oftentimes children and younger kids give you an opportunity for that, right? Um, my own daughters were always, like, right behind me. I personally, you know, may have had to stop in the restroom and take care of menstrual hygiene mm-hmm. kinds of things, and here's my daughters right on there. I'm like, can I have a minute? <laughs> um, and so those have might be opportunities for okay. moms or other family members to use those to say, oh, I just need a little privacy right now. I'm dealing with this. Yeah. And might be able to start to have those conversations. I think they also encourage, you know, using those appropriate anatomic words when possible, Mm -hmm. right? You know, this is a menstruation or menstrual period that comes from my uterus, through the vagina, you know, things like that that are normalizing that terminology. Um, It can be scary because I definitely have lived through that as well. And it's different as the mom Mm -hmm. and as the physician gynecologist in the office. Um, And you know what? You have many chances and it doesn't matter if you feel like, ooh, what did I say that then for? That wasn't what I meant to say. Like, guess what? Everything's going to be fine. Yep. And you'll have many times to kind of go back through and talk about things. So, Dr. Breach, do you have um, or heard of, like, any dads coming in? And they have to have this conversation. Do you have any specific tips for them? It's also a great question. I think um, we do meet with many dads mm-hmm. who might bring their daughter to the appointment and certainly, even in my neighborhood where I live, I interact with moms and dads down the street who secretly ask me for advice <laughs> about how do we deal with this, right? You know, I think it's really about sort of um, relationships that you have in your family mm-hmm. and what feels comfortable to you. There are many families who might have some different situations, maybe where um, a daughter may spend some time at her mom's house, mm-hmm. sometimes at her dad's house, or even, honestly, there's some, some awesome stepdads, right? Absolutely. And so there have been a lot of opportunities to kind of first step back and say it's a part of growing up right and it's part of becoming a young adult and and again sort of getting a vibe on if if the the young woman feels comfortable and that's sort of comfortable not only in what's happening to her but you know comfortable in her gender Mm -hmm. but then to further that discussion about this is an opportunity it's showing us that your body is really developing in a way that allows that option for having children in the future Mm -hmm. Um, depending on the dad and his experience and interest, he may not have the lowdown on all the different products on the shelf <laughs> at the pharmacy yeah. or, or much about the menstrual cups. But I do think he's a great resource for support where, you know, just a dad, could you help me give me a ride mm-hmm. up to the store to help me with those things? And most dads are very willing to help. Absolutely. They also would be very helpful if perhaps someone is having some more discomfort with their periods, mm-hmm. right? And sharing that with their their parent, either mom, dad, step-parent, whomever that may be. Um, because there are some realms and some sort of um, amounts of pain that we would expect. And if that is exceeding what is routine pain, that is often better relieved by medications like, um, we call them NSAIDs or Advil, Motrin, okay. and Aleve. As opposed to Tylenol isn't often as effective, but if it does help someone, we would say, sure, we want you to go ahead and use that. Mm -hmm. Um, But certainly, I think dads could help with any of those aspects. 
even before the period comes, I think many dads just want to be there for support. Yeah. And if you have a good relationship with your daughter, then I would say, hey, let's let's leverage that and let's use it to talk about how excited you are mm-hmm. for her future and what she might choose to do in the future. And one like topic on periods is, is it safe to suppress your period? And how does that look for young girls? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it's a topic that comes up in many different situations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for some patients, I think just even a monthly period itself can be a bit of a struggle, whether it's around the activities they're involved in. Let's say you're a competitive swimmer, competitive diver. Yep. You're very into sports. Um, you're in ballet. I didn't mm-hmm. learn. I didn't know until I became a gynecologist that what happens under those leotards for ballet, not a lot. There's not a lot happening there. So again, any of those activities might be problematic mm-hmm. for a period that's either anything more than a very light flow or any irregularity to the pattern at all. In addition, there may be some patients who either have a very early onset of their periods and make it challenging to manage those, or patients who may have, let's say, either disabilities in some way, whether Mm -hmm. that's a physical disability that makes it hard to manage their periods independently, or developmental or cognitive disabilities. And so there are opportunities in any of those situations to consider safely using some medications to suppress the periods. I think because of the safety of the medications, even when there are situations where you're just like, do I have to have my period every month? Could I even just push it out every three to four months Mm -hmm. and maybe have it once a season. There was even a medication called seasonal. So, um, you know, I think there are lots of opportunities. Okay. I think the emphasis for many parents is it is safe. Mm-hmm. It's effective. I think we have a conversation um, with patients and families in regards to goals. The last thing we want to do is use a medicine to make things better and then make things more irregular. Yeah. And even though they're lighter, it's like all the time. Yeah. And shoot, then I still can't swim even though I got my new fabulous like period bathing suit kind of thing (laughs) so I think that um we definitely talk about that sort of category called menstrual suppression got it we had um tried to offer some easily available information for parents um, in a blog format Mm -hmm. I think so that's another reference that we'll link um, to that for sure that would be amazing but it's it is safe it is something that um it's a great option to Mm -hmm. improve one's quality of life amazing well, Dr. Breach, do you have any lasting advice you want to give parents before we wrap up today? Wow. <laughs> do I have any lasting <laughs> advice for before we wrap it up? I guess I, I would say that, you know, menstruation is a healthy part of life. Mm-hmm. And um, I had been over the years involved um, with the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology to make some materials that would be for other providers. And in creating those materials, we said we should think of the menses or the period as a vital sign. So I think I think the thing that would be great to leave with mm-hmm. is that having regular periods after that sort of median age we talked about uh-huh. after they get started is one of those vital signs that's indicative Absolutely. of our body's health. And for young women, that's something that we need to keep an eye on because if the periods change, either not coming in a monthly pattern or mm-hmm. too frequently or I know, so sorry to say, but not so commonly. Mm-hmm. Those can be indications of other things happening, and it's important to ensure that there are no health concerns. So using that period as a vital sign to help us as providers take the best care of your children. Lastly, 
it's a manageable uh, event <laughs> and it's something that we will all live through and we hope that we could be there um, from our gynecology team. I'm fortunate to work with uh, three other physicians and we have two nurse practitioners. So if we can help support patients and families in any way, our program for pediatric analysis and gynecology would be happy to help in any way. And also to encourage utilizing your great resources nearby, your local nurse practitioner or um, pediatric provider would be great as well. And I just want to say thank you for Rosie because she made talking about periods really fun, <laughs> even though most people would say this is not what they want to talk about. So thank you for inviting me. It's been a great experience. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much, Dr. Reach. And we will have you back very soon. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks. This episode was recorded on September 15th, 2021. The content of this podcast is for informational and educational purposes. Our theme music was created by Steven Grieco. This episode was produced by Symphony Pitts. Thanks for listening and be sure to join us next week on the Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy Podcast. Follow Cincinnati Children's on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.